Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is Neurostation, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is a news episode for Rust 1.33 and 1.34. As I mentioned in a recent bonus episode, March was extremely full with my prep for a workshop at EmberConf, which is why this episode covers both 1.33 and 1.34. Now before we dive in, Parody is back sponsoring the show because they want to hire you to come work in Rust with them. Parity is advancing the state of the art in decentralized technology, and they're using Rust to do it, leaning hard on Rust's trifecta of performance, reliability, and productivity. They're building cutting-edge tech in areas like WebAssembly and peer-to-peer networking. Two of their larger projects are Substrate, which is a framework for building blockchains, and Polkadot, a platform leveraging blockchain tech for scaling and interoperability in decentralized systems. If that sounds interesting... Check out their jobs at parody.io slash jobs. Now, let's talk Rust 1.33. 1.33 landed yet more features around const functions, allowing you to do yet more compile time evaluation. As you may recall from my discussion of these in the Rust 2018 edition episodes, there's a trade-off here. You spend more time compiling, but with the benefit of effectively no runtime cost at all for getting the results of those computations. Deployed effectively, these can lead to significant improvements in the speed of your program or library. The const function-related features in 1.33 include assignment. Yes, you literally couldn't use assignment in const functions before. And that includes things like the plus equals and minus equals operators, as well as going down into structs or indexing into arrays. So you can do things like point.x plus equals some offset now. It also includes let bindings. As long as the things they in turn evaluate to are constant, you're good. Same thing goes for let mute. You can also use destructuring patterns if they always work, that is, if they are irrefutable. So if you have a struct point with fields x, y, and z, you can write let point with fields x, y, and z equal some point, or you can do the same with tuples and so on. Finally, you can use const unsafe functions from const functions now. I was actually kind of surprised this wasn't the case already, but now it is. Hooray! The net of that is that a lot of things can now be const function, which couldn't before, and the Rust library now takes advantage of that. A few examples of these, the overflowing and wrapping math operations are now const functions for all numeric types, which is very nice. So are is positive and is negative. And there are a bunch of handlers around binary numbers and endianness, things like leading zeros or to little endian or from little endian, which are now const functions. I'm curious, so if you know, please shoot me an email or tweet at me, whether anyone has benchmarked any representative programs and seen if or how this has improved runtimes. One of the most important items in 1.33 was not the const function things, as great as those are, but the stabilization of the pin type. I'm going to spend a pretty good chunk of this episode talking through this, because this is one of the most important changes to land in Rust in my memory. Pin is a type representing an object which is guaranteed to keep the same location in memory throughout its existence. Normally, objects in Rust do not have this property. They can, and do, move. This applies to when we're talking about moving in the context of ownership, and in that context, the specific dynamics of how objects move around in memory vary quite a bit. They're compiler-defined in general, and that lets the compiler make optimizations when appropriate. But this property also applies to pointers. You can move the objects an immutable reference or a box point to. 
there are, in short, a lot of ways that things can move in Rust. Everything can move. But there are times when you need to be able to guarantee that an object does not move. And for those times, we now have pin. When, you might be asking, would I actually want that? Well, the API docs and the announcement blog post give the example of a self-referential struct type. If a type has a pointer to itself and the type moves, the pointer would become invalid. And this is undefined behavior. This is Rust. We don't want undefined behavior. But you still might be saying, cool, when would I want that? That's what my initial reaction was. It wasn't immediately apparent to me when I would need this property. So I poked around a bit, and I found that without boats, RFC for this API was extremely helpful. I strongly recommend you just read it. It's readable, and it's very illuminating. One prime case where you need this is in a generator, which, and I'm going to hand wave a bit here, a generator is a function which can suspend operation at one point in time and resume again later. If you're familiar with JavaScript or Python, you may have seen this expressed with the yield keyword there. Making this work requires that you basically take the current stack frame and save it. You have to turn it into an object that you can manipulate. You're storing it for reference, you're adding and removing things from it over time, and so on. At the end of the day, you actually treat the current stack frame as a kind of state machine. So you need to keep track of and update its internal state, and that in turn means keeping references to the state machine itself. This was unsafe in the formal Rust sense of unsafety before the pin type landed. PIN lets us express the guarantees that we need to make this kind of thing safe. And it is similarly necessary, and for similar reasons, to make the futures and async work that are coming soon now, they are slowly in the process of stabilizing, viable. This stabilization adds new APIs to Rust. The first of these is the PIN type, which is generic over a type parameter P, where P is any pointer type. It could be a mutable reference to my struct, or a box around your struct, or a reference counted pointer around our enum, whatever you like. PIN wraps those pointers in mechanics which forbid the use of move operations on the value behind the pointer. So the behavior of something like a pin of a box of some type T is pretty much just like the behavior of a box of some type T, except that you cannot do things which cause moves, and that includes getting the actual box around some type T itself. The same thing goes for pin around a mutable reference to some type T. You can do basically all the normal things you can do with a reference mutable value in Rust, except move it. So you can't use functions or methods like mem swap, which would let you exchange what is sitting in that memory for something else. Pin holds things in place. Unpin is a corresponding trait, which effectively undoes the effect of pin. Now, that might sound strange, but it turns out that most types don't have any need for this kind of memory location stability. For example, a 32-bit integer, an i32, just doesn't care whether it's in the same spot. It will never be self-referencing anything. It's just an integer. As a result, unpin is automatically implemented for most types in Rust. You may remember that this is true for a number of other traits in the standard library, most notably send and sync. And like send and sync, unpin is a trait you can implement yourself, but it is also one you can explicitly opt out of for a given type by writing impl exclamation point unpin, that is not unpin for that type. And opting out means pin does have its defined effect. That is, whatever you have wrapped in a pin cannot be moved. 
In addition to those two new types, there are also some important rules about what it means to implement the drop trait for a pinned type and about the relationship between a pinned struct and its fields. Rather than trying to explain these in this news episode, I will simply refer you to the excellent and detailed API docs, which walk through these in considerable detail, and they also provide some great examples of actual implementations using pin and unpin together. I've linked those in the show notes. The last note I want to make about 1.33 is on a small feature that I really appreciate in the module import syntax. You can now import an item as underscore. The same way you can use underscore to say, I don't care about this value name in a function or a match expression, you can now use it to say, I don't care about this module type name in a use statement. This is particularly handy when you want to import a module's trait implementations without importing or having to alias the name of the trait itself. And I actually ran into this exact scenario myself not that long ago, so I was very happy when 1.3 included this functionality. Now, let's look at 1.34. And there are two big features I want to talk about here. Alternative cargo registries and the try from trait stabilizing. Before I get to those, though, there are a few library stabilizations I also think are interesting. And as always, you should take a look at the full release notes. I've linked those for both 1.33 and 1.34. One of these interesting API stabilizations is the standard any type ID function. This function lets you take a type and determine whether its compiler-generated globally unique identifier is the same as that for a specific type. You cannot see into type IDs in Rust, but you can use them for a certain amount of runtime reflection on what are otherwise opaque types. So, for example, you can define a function which determines if two types are the same. You can use standard any's any and type ID types, and then you can write a function named same type, and you can have type parameters A, which may or may not be sized and is of any, and B, which may or may not be sized and is of any, and then take the two parameters A being a reference to that type parameter A and B being a reference to that type parameter B, and then we'll return a bool. And all we've done there in terms of that function definition is say, we don't care if these are something that has a definite size, and both of them are of the special type any. They can literally be any type in Rust. And then the body here, we would simply say a.typeID as a method invocation equals b.typeID as a method invocation. And that would be the Boolean result. So we can take in any two types and say, hey, are these the same type? You can do a lot more with this when you combine it with the existing type ID type and its implementations. Those have been stable since Rust 1.0. The new type ID helper just allows for some nice improvements to these kind of runtime metaprogramming features. Now, we haven't talked about any before because it's not something that comes up that often in idiomatic Rust, but it is roughly what it sounds like. It's a trait type which allows you to introduce a degree of runtime dynamicism into your types. You're allowed to say with any, this thing here can be anything. And then you can do the kinds of dynamic programming you might be used to in other more, well, dynamically typed languages. So while that's not something you reach for often in Rust, it's nice that it's here and it's nice that it continues to get some love. Up next is the first of those two big items that I mentioned, the try from trait stabilized, and with it, the matching try into trait. This is a nice, nice win, and you probably can feel this coming if you've been programming in Rust for any length of time. The existing from trait is great. 
But it requires that your from function always succeeds. And it turns out there are just an awful lot of times when you cannot write a function converting from one type to another in a way that does in fact always succeed. Most idiomatic Rust has worked around this by providing a try from function, which takes in the source type and returns a result of the target type or the cause for failure. But this has always had to be done in an ad hoc way from codebase to codebase. And so you could easily end up in a spot where different implementations supply their own try from trait or no such trait at all, and things ended up as a bit of a patchwork as a result. Stabilizing try from solves this problem. We now have a standard library trait that everyone can implement and use with their own types. Try from requires you to supply an associated type named error, which is the error output, and a function, try from, which returns a result of that target type that you're looking for or the associated error type. Try into is, of course, the inverse of try from, just as into is the inverse of from. So if you have an implementation of try from for a generic type T for some type U, you automatically also get an implementation of try into on some generic type U for T. Finally, as a convenience for dealing with APIs which expect results, try from is actually automatically implemented for all from implementors. But since it can never fail, because you already have an implementation of from, you'll never get the error case of the result. And there is a type introduced here, which will hopefully coalesce with another type, the never type, when that stabilizes to let you know this at the type system level. And there are some conveniences you can deal with as a result. This is one of those nice little fix a paper cut and do it well kinds of changes that I love to see coming on our normal six-week cadence. Now, last but perhaps most importantly for many large organizations, something which is not a paper cut kind of change. Support for alternative registries for cargo is now stable. In general, many individuals and companies are happy enough to use the normal crates.io registry for finding and using packages. However, in a lot of contexts, organizations with specific security needs, often including large organizations, crates.io, as excellent as it is, doesn't meet the specific security requirements of the organization for vetting the packages it uses. What's more, many organizations of any size need private registries of packages, which are internal only. It's easy to forget, if you're doing a lot of open source work, that everything on crates.io is public. Organizations with either of those sets of needs, for better security validation of packages or just for private packages in general, will often set up their own private registries for their internally vetted packages, whether those are alternative NPM registries or NuGet repositories or whatever. As an example of this, my own current employer, LinkedIn, has very specific policies about how we use third-party dependencies from NPM, say, and we're not pulling directly from NPM. We have our own registry, and our JavaScript dependencies have to be vetted to go in there. Similarly, my previous employer, Olo, had private registries for both NPM and NuGet packages for internal-only code, which was shared across multiple projects in the organization. LinkedIn has the same. This is very, very normal. And Cargo hasn't had first-tier support for it until 1.34. You've been able to work around it using Git URLs or by pulling down source code locally and using path keys to map things in your Cargo Toml, but neither of these were great or scalable solutions, and they were therefore not viable for large engineering teams like my own. 
Rust 1.34 ships with some really nice, although still early, support for alternative registries. I say still early because there's a lot more work happening in this space to make these kinds of things and custom build pipelines much easier for large organizations to use. To use this, you just add a registries section to your cargo.toml and point your registry to the URL for your alternative registry. And then when you add a dependency, you'll specify both the version and the registry to use for it. So you can continue to use crates.io in parallel with it if need be. You can also now use a registry flag when publishing or logging into a registry with Cargo. And there are some docs about how to run a registry that came with this release as well. This is a change that has been a long time coming, in part because there was so much to do last year for the 2018 edition release, but also in part because it's a thing that the teams involved really wanted to get right as much as possible. It's really important for a lot of users of Rust out there. And now that it's out there, there can be more users of Rust because it is now much easier for large or particularly security conscious or just needing some private code organizations to adopt Rust. That's a big win, and I'm excited to see where things go from here. Thanks, as always, to this month's $10 or more sponsors, including Evan Stahl, Martin Huschober, Soren Bremer-Schmidt, Ramon Buckland, Ryan Osiel, Benham Esfabode, Rob Chuk, Olaf Adeyi, Andrew Dirksen, Embark Studios, Jason Bowen, Chip, John Rudnick, David Carroll, Anthony Deschamps, Nathan Scully, Michael McDonnell, Nick Gidio, Rafe Levine, Brian Stitt, Zach Peters, Matt Rudder, Arun Kulshreshta, James Higgins II, Adam Green, Daniel Bornkessel, Scott Moeller, Jerome Froelich, Jeff May, Dan Abrams, Jonathan Knapp, Daniel Mason, Nick Stevens, Christian Paul, Brian McAllister, Alexander Payne, Peter Tillemans, Daniel Collin, Dominic Cooney, Paul Naranja, Alushe Shonaya, Graham Willadol, Jacob Dinar, Nicholas Pochet, Johan Anderson, Joseph Schrog, and Benjamin Manns. You can sponsor the show and get your name on that long list at patreon.com slash neurostation or via other services listed on the show website, neurostation.com. The website also has show notes, including links to all the things I talk about, scripts, code samples, and interview transcripts for many of the interviews. Notes for this episode are at neurostation.com slash show underscore notes slash news slash, well, click on the one that looks like Rust 1.33 and 1.34 because I'm not going to try to say that many underscores out loud. Please do recommend the show to others if you like it, whether that's in person, via your favorite podcast directory, or in whatever media online. You can contact me at Chris Kreitcher or at Neurostation on Twitter, or you can send me an email at hello at Neurostation.com. Until next time, happy coding. <laughs>